0: Best of the best series are friends of mine uh, all across the country, even around the world, who I think are some of the most amazing teachers and speakers ever. Uh, Tonight, we're going to kick off with one of my really, really good friends. He's a guy I love personally. Uh, We go way back. But on top of that, he's someone who does iron sharpens iron with me. He helps me be better. He helps me get closer to God better. And he's not just doing that now. He and I have had that kind of relationship for a long, long time. And his name is Mike Bro. And Mike is a teaching pastor in like all these churches. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, like all these churches. Because everybody loves Mike's teaching. Now, you got to get ready for this. Tonight, he's going to talk to you about that hole that might be in your heart. Mm -hmm. That emptiness that might be in your life. And how God, God wants that to be filled. And Jesus came on earth, died on the cross for your sins, Rose again from the dead so you could be forgiven and know the love of God in a powerful way. So, guys, we're going to watch this together right now.
1: Hey, so great to be with you all today. My name is Mike Bro, and I live in Ventura, California, I serve on the teaching team of several different awesome churches, and it's been a while. Uh, Since I've been at Crossroads, which is one of my favorite places on earth, led by one of my favorite people on earth, Chuck Boer. Chuck and I have been friends for a long, long time, and I have so much respect for him and so much respect for Crossroads. In a way, man, you're just trying to simply make a difference in Southern California and beyond. So I'm just, I'm just honored to get to uh, teach here this weekend. And whether you're watching us online or whether you're at the campus, man, thanks for hanging with us. Today, what I want to do is unpack an encounter that Jesus had one day that changed the course of a person's life. He had a lot of those, including uh, the one that he had with me. Uh, y'all ever had that feeling uh, that people are talking about you? I mean, I mean you, you might have that little group of people uh, uh, cluster around uh, uh, the coffee pot at work or maybe they're in the hallway next to your locker at school or maybe there's a backyard barbecue going on and you walk up and everybody stops talking. Ever had that happen? And you can just tell by the, like, the awkward silence and people looking at the ground and stuff. They're, they're probably talking about you. And it's a crappy feeling when that happens. Now, honestly, some of that can be personal insecurity and paranoia. I mean, I mean, if you go to a football game and you think when the team huddles up that they might be talking about you, you, you might need some therapy, but sometimes it's very real, like too real, isn't it? And when you become the topic of conversation, I mean, you just want, you just want to hide, right? You just want to close the blinds, stay inside, pull the covers over your head, isolate from all conversation, from all touch, and just be by yourself. It's, it's the kind of thing that makes you want to come to the well at noon, she, she was a woman that people talked about. She had a past. She had a reputation that people huddle up and whisper about. So to avoid all the stares and whispers and small town gossip, she comes every day to get water at Jacob's well when nobody else does at high noon. And when she comes, she carries with her an empty bucket and a, an empty life. A life where she feels unwanted, unfulfilled, uh, uncared for, and unloved. I want to pick up her story. It's in John chapter 4. It's in the New Testament section of, of the Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. They're called the Gospels which just literally mean the good news, the good news about God's love, the good news about Jesus coming. And uh, uh, they're all stories about what he did, what he said, who he encountered. Man, they're fascinating. They're life-changing. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that, or if you've got an app that you use. We'll put it on the screens as well so we can all follow along. And, man, this is such a great story. And you might have already kind of detected a little slight accent from me. Uh, even though I live in Ventura, I'm, from, I'm originally from Kentucky. And y'all know the difference between like a northern story and a southern story? A northern story begins with once upon a time. A southern story begins with y'all ain't going to believe this. So y'all, this story, y'all ain't going to believe this. The story begins in John chapter 4 with a verse that first glance doesn't seem like that big a deal. But man, it is. It says this. Now, talking about Jesus. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now, there's a whole lot packed in that little verse because you see he didn't really have to go through Samaria. There were other ways. In fact, every other Jewish person would kind of Google map or ways their route over the Jordan River and travel up the east side to avoid having to step one foot on Samaritan soil because the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans. I mean, you think Like unrest in the Middle East is a relatively new thing. Oh, no, man, there's been some long-term history going on there. These people had destroyed one another's temples. The Samaritans actually scattered human remains and bones, thus desecrating the Jewish temple. It got so ugly that Jewish children were taught that if they were happen to pass by a Samaritan on a dusty road, they were to go immediately to the priest and have him ceremonially wash them, or they would be considered unclean by God. In fact, Jewish law allowed anybody to testify in a court of law except for Samaritans. Why? Because one of the stipulations for testifying was this, and I quote, you have to be human. I mean, this is a lot more intense than like Lakers, Clippers, Yankees, Red Sox, Republicans, Democrats. I mean, this was off the chart hatred and racism. Even though they were created by the same God, even though they believed in the same God, even though they descended from the same people, the Jews regarded Samaritans as less than. They saw them as religious and social half-breeds because generations before they had intermarried and they had built their own temple and they allowed all kinds of idol worship and other false religions to creep in. so in the Jewish mind, they, they were the holy ones and the Samaritans were, you know, those people. And there was no way that those people would ever be allowed into the kingdom of God. All Samaritans were past the point of of no return. And the religious leaders pounded that junk in their hearts and their minds, and they bought into it. They actually believed the lies that they were superior to those people. I mean, can you imagine living in a society where people actually thought they were superior to other people because of their race? You know, one of the problems right now in our country is a those-people mentality. I can hardly read social media. In fact, I've had to take a sustained break from it. Still on that break, actually. Uh, Such a lack of humility and kindness, uh, so much division, name-calling, and violence pointing to those people. I like what Anne Lamott says. says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the people that you do. Gang, you need to know, it's never of those people with Jesus. It's just people. And I believe that's why he had to go through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., so you can do the math and see that Jesus was sitting there at that well at high noon, right in the heat of the day, and that well would have been a pretty desolate place around that time of day because, you see, women in that culture would typically go fill their buckets, their water pots at dawn or, or sundown when it was much, much cooler. Nobody, I'm talking nobody, came at noon unless you didn't want to be seen. Unless you didn't want to walk up and hear the huddle of whispers fall silent. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then in parentheses it says, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now I love that little caveat there that's in parentheses, because this is one of the things I love most about Jesus He's always breaking all kinds of social rules. First of all, if you read the whole text, you will see he's sitting there alone because he has sent his disciples into town to buy food, Samaritan food, that they weren't technically ever, ever supposed to eat. Jews often said they would rather eat swine's flesh than have Samaritan food ever touch their lips. So you know that as Jesus' guys are walking into town, they got to be shaking their heads like, what the heck are we doing? Yeah, I think he might be stretching us again. I hate it when he does this. What are we doing in Sychar anyway? And then here's a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, a Jewish rabbi associating with a Samaritan outcast, asking to drink from a Samaritan vessel that a Samaritan hand had touched. All of this, all of it was completely unheard of. Now, just imagine being this woman. I mean, she's got a past. She's got a reputation she's not proud of. And she's walking with her head down, just trying to get out as quickly as possible, trying to avoid all the the gossip, all the judgmental glares. And as she approaches the well, she looks up, and there's some guy sitting there at the rocky base of the well. And she notices his clothing. She can tell he's a Jew, and she's well aware of the history between the Jews and Samaritans. So I'm sure she's thinking, oh, great, great. What is he doing there? Ah! Nobody's ever here at this time of day. Okay, just keep your head down, avoid all eye contact, just get your water and get out of here. But when she gets there, the man smiles and says, excuse me, uh, would, you, uh, would you mind getting me a drink? Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, did you catch that little line that says, for the Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans? Here's something I hope you know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't refuse anyone. Jesus doesn't refuse anyone. You know, I've said it before, and so has Chuck, but the people who were least like Jesus liked Jesus, and he liked them. And I'm telling you, he likes you too. I kept uh, inviting a friend, kind of like, and he wasn't proud of it. And whenever I'd ask him to come, he'd say, oh, man, if I ever walked in the church, dude, the, the roof would cave in. You ever said that? Ever had somebody say that to you? But he finally mustered up the courage to come one weekend. I saw him out in the lobby, and he was visibly emotional because the message was about moving past your past and how much God loves us. And so I just went over to him, gave him a big old bear hug, and, and then I said, and dude, check this out. We still got a roof. See I'm telling you Jesus likes you. And I just think it's so cool that when nobody else would Jesus takes a risk here and meets her one one of her most basic human needs. She just needed some company. She needed someone who would talk to her instead of about her. And Jesus knew that she needed a man to look at her differently than other men did. She needed someone who would not refuse to have anything to do with her based on her past, her present, her race, her gender, her religion, her politics, or her reputation. He knew that she just needed a friend. And man, I hope you'll really start studying the Gospels this year. You want to know what God is like? Well, let's check out Jesus. And just see how disarming and inclusive Jesus is. His love breaks through so many barriers, he will not refuse anyone. And I don't know about you, but I am personally grateful that Jesus did not refuse to have anything to do with me. And I'm telling you, he won't refuse you either. He wants to meet you right where you are today, who you are today. Past, flaws, sin, imperfections, screw-ups, addictions, baggage, all that stuff. That's who he wants to meet with. That's who he wants to hang with. That's who he loves. So man, if you've got like an empty bucket, you've got an empty soul, you've got an empty life, just bring it to him. He will not refuse you. Well, after she says to him, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus smiles and says, well, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you'd you'd ask me and I would give you living water. Now, remember, this is a woman with a reputation and I think probably a little jaded, a little cynical. She's been talked about. She's been hurt. She's been used. So I'm just thinking she's probably a little hardened. And when Jesus says this, maybe she's thinking, wow, living water. Wow, that's, that's a new one. I thought I'd heard all the bad pickup lines in my day. You know, like, hey, baby, you could be in movies, or hey, honey, hook up with me, and I'll put you on the cover of a magazine, or excuse me, could you give me a Band-Aid because I scraped my knee falling for you. I mean, she'd heard every single bad pickup line, but this one, living water, well, that's original, but she kind of plays along. She says, well, sir... <laughs> <you> <laughs> You don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very, very deep. Where are you going to get this, quote, unquote, living water? And besides, you, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? I mean, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? You, you think you're better than him? I mean, Jacob was like a patriarch of the faith. He was really, really close to God. Man, you must be really something, buddy, to be able to produce this living water. And I just believe Jesus smiles again when he says, yeah, anybody who drinks this water, as good as this well is, soon going to become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes like a fresh bubbling spring from within them, giving them eternal life. And again, I'm just imagining with a bit of a sarcastic tone, the woman replies, well, that sounds great. Yes, sir, please. Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to keep coming here at noon to get my water. And as she spins on her heels to leave, this total stranger says, excuse me, uh, why don't you go and get your husband and come on back? Stops her dead in her tracks. Lump forms in her throat. She turns to him and says, "Uh, I have no husband. Jesus says, well, you're you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What what you said is, is quite true. And can you imagine everything she was trying to conceal, Jesus reveals. He already knew, and he cared deeply about her. Here's the deal. She is the reason. He had to go through Samaria. God loved this woman with a past so much that he goes looking specifically for her. It's like that story that Jesus tells about a shepherd who has 100 sheep and he loses one and he leaves the 99 and goes out of his way just looking for that lost one to bring it home. The point of that story is God pursues you and me like we are that priceless one. Now, like I said, I'm from Kentucky, but I live in Ventura, and I love that they call Ventura, Ventucky. We got agriculture, thrift stores, surfer dudes, we got tattoo shops all over the place. It used to be Hells Angels headquarters. Uh, a guy was baptized a couple of years ago who was a former Hells Angel member. And many of them have like a one percenter tattoo somewhere on their body, kind of boast about their lawlessness, like we're the 1% that doesn't give a rip about anything. And he had a one percenter tattoo on his shoulder. He stood there in the water and pointed to the tattoo, and he said, man, this is so cool. Now I know that Jesus left the 99 and chased me down. Now this 1% means something totally different to me. He pursues all of us like we are that priceless one because he wants all of us home. And not only does he pursue us, Jesus also knows our deepest thirst. He knows our deepest thirst. I love how he knows and goes right to the deepest place of her life. He Goes right to the deep place of her shame, right to the deep place of her humiliation, right to the deep place of her pain, right to the deep place of her longing. He doesn't need a rope, doesn't need a bucket to get deep. He is already there. And he already knows that only he can fill her deepest thirst. Look again at verse 13 and 14. It's one of those verses you got to just tuck in your heart and memorize. Jesus replied to her, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never, ever be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about so much more than mere H2O here. He knew what she was really thirsty for and he knew how she was trying to quench that thirst. And haven't you found that our surface attempts to fill those deepest needs only last a while and soon we become very thirsty again? That's why we try to fill our pain bucket with like substance abuse. It's why we try and fill our insecurity bucket with like body image stuff. It's why we run to pornography. To fill that deeper need for intimacy is while we strive to overperform and overachieve at work or school or on the field or on the court to fill that deeper need for that elusive attaboy, attagirl. It's why we fill our closets and spend money on more and more stuff to fill that deeper need for approval. It's why we power up on people and even lash out in fits of anger to fill that deeper need for power and significance. It's why we chase after relationship, after relationship, after relationship to fill that deeper need for being loved with an unfailing love. And gang, those things never last. They're shallow, they're temporary, and will only leave us thirsty again. God says this over in the Old Testament, the Bible, kind of an obscure verse, but it's, it just hit me. Jeremiah 2.13, God says this, my people have committed two sins. First of all, they've forsaken me, the source, the spring of living water. Secondly, they went out and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Uh, once again, I, I grew up in Kentucky and I can remember an old song that I learned way back in a third grade music class. You know how there are some songs you learn as a kid that you never, ever forget? Well, this song was a song, and I don't know whether you ever ever sang it or not. The song said, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole. And the song goes on and on and on. You ever sang that song? Okay, maybe it's a Kentucky thing. But gang, I got to tell you something. I am so grateful for the day I discovered there's a hole in my bucket. Because I had dug all kinds of broken cisterns that could not hold water. Oh, it could give me a little splash. It could give me a little sip. It could give me a quick fix. But never enough to wash over me and quench my deepest thirst. Jesus knows our deepest thirst. And not only does he know it, but he promises that if we'll just come to him daily to meet those needs, we'll never be thirsty again. He's He's the well. He's the spring. He's the source of living water. While this woman was wondering how Jesus could get deep to the places of Jacob's well without a rope or a bucket, he was reaching deep into the well of her soul. And I believe he could see her desperate thirst to be loved with the kind of love that does not run dry, the kind that only he can offer. Well, she's taken back, to say the least, by his knowledge of her past. And so she does what we do in awkward moments. She totally changes the subject. I love this. She goes, uh, sir, I I can see you're like a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is over in Jerusalem. I just love the raw humanity of this woman. Jesus goes right to the deep places of her soul and she wants to bring it up to the surface level as quick as she can. It's like, okay, okay, enough about me. Let's talk about you. I, I, I can see you're, you're probably a religious man, right? You know, one of the trending topics right now between Jews and Samaritans. are where, where are we supposed to worship? Is it on the mountain? Is it in Jerusalem? I just wonder, like, what's your, what's your take on that religious man? What's, what's, what's your point of view? And again, I just think Jesus smiles as he pretty much sweeps the intended distraction away by saying, well, actually, neither on the mountain or in Jerusalem, God wants worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. It's always been an inside-out kind of thing with him. Speaking of which, let's get back to you. And he looks deep into her eyes as if to say, I have a feeling that you could use some spirit and truth, because here's what I think. I think you'd like to know real love. I think you'd like to connect with God on that kind of level, but you can't move past your past. Listen to me, you dear, precious, priceless woman. God, the lover of your soul, longs to connect with you too. And I believe at this point, she's fighting back tears, got that lump in her throat, and I think what she says next, she even says with an expected sense of, could it be? The woman says, well, I know that, Messiah called Christ is coming, and and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. It's almost like she's saying, uh, that, that wouldn't be you, would it? And then in the only time before his trial, not before the crowds, not in front of the religious leaders, but to this broken woman alone by a well at high noon, Jesus declares, yep, I who speak to you am he. I mean, this is so cool. Not only had a Jew spoken to a Samaritan, not only had a rabbi spoken to a woman, but the one lovingly looking into her eyes, the one looking into her shame-filled soul, was her creator, God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the light of the world, the Lamb of God, who would wash away sin, the source of living water that would wash over her soul and make her brand new. I mean, what a moment this is. All right, you, you know how... You know how great movies and TV series have like an A-plot going on and they got a B-plot going on? Seinfeld and The Office were both great at that. Remember that little caveat we read a little bit earlier where it said, in parentheses, the disciples had gone into town to buy food? Well, verse 27 is kind of the B-plot, and I find it kind of funny because it says like, meanwhile or just then it's it's like the the soundtrack of the movie changes from this uh, touching acoustic string section to Jesus and this woman just looking eye to eye and the camera pans on these guys coming back with sacks of food from a Samaritan drive through you know and it says this meanwhile here's the b-plot his disciples and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with her And so they're coming up the road. They can see them talking at the well, and they start whispering to each other, well, who's she? I don't know. What's he doing? I don't know, man. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. There's no way I'm asking him. No way, man. Just ignore her and act like everything's cool, okay? Okay. I just think they knew this barrier breaking Jesus all too well. Now back to the A-plot. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I mean, what a cool picture. When this woman realizes just who it is that has touched her in the deepest place, she leaves her bucket, she leaves her past, she leaves her shame, she goes running right back into the town to tell the very people she was trying to avoid. You've you got to come see this. You've got to come. I'm, I'm telling you, hope. Hope is sitting by the well. You see, not only will Jesus never refuse you, not only does Jesus know your deepest thirst, but you need to know this, Jesus can redeem any life. He can redeem any life. And I don't want to say the word redeem. Sounds like a churchy word. So I I just looked it up in the English dictionary and check out the first four definitions that pop up. Redeem, to make something acceptable, to restore reputation, to atone for human sin. To buy something back. I mean, catch this. Jesus went to a cross to atone for human sin, to purchase our freedom, to buy back our wasted years. Through his blood, our reputations are restored, and we have been made into something acceptable. That's the definition of redemption. Gang, a, per, a woman who did not want to be seen in public at all, now running back into her town, telling everybody what has just happened to her. Man, that's redemption. In a town called Sychar, which literally means falsehood, God chooses this woman to declare his truth. That's redemption. People used to huddle up and talk about her as a woman who had five previous husbands and was always sleeping around. And now when people saw her, they would say, you see that woman right there? Yeah, that woman right there. Man, you ought to hear her story. In fact, she's the one who led me to Jesus. That's redemption. I love how the songwriter in in Psalm 130 writes, Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Don't let that escape you. Full redemption, not partial, not halfway, not 80%, not just enough to make you feel a little better or a little less guilty about your junk. Full redemption. Now, I know that some of y'all are really good at repurposing things. You go to flea markets, you go to garage sales, estate sales, you find junk on the side of the road, and you can turn it into something really, really cool. You need to know something. Jesus is, like, really good at that. He's always been a master carpenter, and he can take the most ungodly mistakes and unspeakable pain and colossal failure and can redeem them, recycle them, and repurpose them for good. Listen, this woman's story can be your story, too. If you're thinking you're so far off from ever having a relationship with God, you need to know that Jesus doesn't refuse anybody. He will meet you right where you are no matter what. He knew that you would be here today, so he just had to come meet you. If you're like me, and you're tired of digging cisterns that can't hold water, if you're tired of going back to the same old broken well time and time again, if there's a hole in your bucket if you're always looking for a temporary fix for the deeper thirst within you, begin to trust today that He knows your deepest thirst. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can fill that. I don't know, you, you might be in the season of your life where you're avoiding people because you think they know all your stuff. Or you may be sitting here right now thinking about broken vows and broken promises and broken families. I mean, if shame, regret, and all those wasted years consume your mind these days, you need to know Jesus can redeem any life. Thousands of us here can attest to that. Whatever is in you, what what is shattered in you, he wants to buy that back, atone for it, make you new. He'll restore your reputation, allow you to live every day in the awareness that in spite of your past, you are accepted by the lover of your soul. Jesus says this in John chapter 7. He says, let anyone, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. So you just need to know that Jesus is waiting for an encounter with you. Wherever you are, he's right there right now. Meet with him. Acknowledge what those deep thirsts are in your life and invite him to fill you up and begin to trust that whatever you bring before him, they can be redeemed. Let me just pray for us all. Father, thank you so much for including stories like this in your word. That we can see, man, we've we've not gone too far, that your grace won't chase us down. Thank you for looking for us specifically, for pursuing us with that unfailing love. Thank you, God, that Jesus broke down all kinds of barriers to get to us. Uh, Thank you, Father, for the way that you not only can redeem any life and fill the deepest thirst. When we think we're untouchable, that you won't refuse us. And I pray, God, that today someone discovers that and meets with you and finds that living water they've been thirsty for. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Wow, amen, amen. And I got to tell you, I love how Mike brought that out. It was so clear in my mind, this incredible picture of this woman walking up the hill. And there's Jesus waiting for her. And uh, I could just see him smiling at her, and she's like, "What is this?" And And as Mike talked about it, I was so amazed about the idea of about a woman who felt uncared for and unloved, was about to be cared for and loved, who uh, carried an empty water pot water bucket or a water jar that was the symbol of an empty life. and it's about to be filled with something amazing. And uh, I don't want you to miss that because you know what? Jesus is the one who waits for us who watches for us and who cares for us right. I, what, hit, what hit you most about that Keanu
2: yeah it was so good honestly all of it but I think the idea of redemption is so cool and the way he defines it I'm a, I'm a words kind of guy I love semantics and just language in general and I love how he went to the dictionary to find some of the, defini- the definitions you know but I love the definition buy back I think it's yes, so, so such a clear picture of what jesus did for us on the cross you know it says the wages of sin is death right but jesus went to the cross to die for a propitiation for our sins to buy back our souls you know so that we won't be paid the wages that we're due you know we work so hard and we do all these things in life and what do we get paid for at the end of our sin when we work for sin sometimes in our life (laughs) We get paid with death, but yeah. Jesus yeah. said, no, 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 I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, you know? And he buys it back for us, he's redeeming us and that redeeming quality in Jesus is so, I believe, attractive and, and wonderful and totally beautiful. That's right. Um, and so I love that he talks about also this idea of this city called Sychar. Yeah. And the name mm-hmm. of it meant falsehood. And so many times I feel like in my life or in our lives, we put on a show sometimes, we come to church and we, we forget about the sins that we did earlier that day and we think, man, oh, I'm a hypocrite like i'm a falsehood but jesus came to the city of falsehood he comes to our city and he That's comes right. knocking on our doors you know to be the truth to switch out and call us righteous when we're unrighteous you know i just i love that i just think it's beautiful yeah,
0: yeah i do say. too And you know, i'm gonna do a yes and on that because that is so so good and he also went to a place where a woman was living in falsehood uh, believing she wasn't worthy believing she had no value and it was all a lie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think that's so true. Sometimes we're caught up in our own falsehood, but sometimes it's the falsehoods that are put upon us. Yeah. Uh, and they, they create so much pain. I mean, I love how
2: you brought that out. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I really loved about it. <laughs> yeah. Casey, what hit you?
3: Yeah, I think um, in listening to Mike, I mean, and even reading this passage of scripture for years now... Um, mm-hmm okay, I'm going to show you my soul right here. But as I've read this, you know, over the years in my life, I have kind of gotten stuck more on the fact that Jesus like calls her out and says, yeah, you know, you're now with, you've been, you've had five husbands and this one that you're with now isn't even your husband. Um, and you kind of get stuck there. I don't know if you guys feel that way too, where you're like, Ooh, Jesus just called you out, you know, and and then you completely miss Jesus you completely miss it and I think lately I've read this story and then hearing Mike talk about it today and I think when we focus on the sin and we focus on the shame that people experience you know um and I think we can be really hypocritical in that way too as Christians sometimes we can look at people and see them as so shameful so so sinful we take our eyes off Jesus in that moment and we forget what he did for her which he was lifting her out of that shame at that moment. He had to call it out because she wasn't going to call it out. Yeah. She was hiding that shame. And I think so many people who are probably even watching tonight are experiencing the same thing. We've experienced that same thing from time to time. Mm-hmm. God needs to be able to lift those things out of us. It needs to come to light for us to really be able to even see what he has for us. Mm-hmm. And so that's just what stuck out to me tonight. It's just that reminder. Don't focus on the shame of your own shame, other people's shame. Focus on Jesus and what he wants to do with you as he lifts that shame off of you.
0: Yeah, I've been so amazed, and you know I'm amazed and excited for you, because you're a part of a life group that's been studying on how, who Jesus really is in regards to how he relates to women. But you've studied about this woman, and along with others, And uh, the whole idea uh, that you were so caught up, you came to me so excited. Actually, you didn't come to me. She came to everybody. I was one of many to talk about what that was to you. And there's kind of like the symbol you guys used in your study. What is that? Yes,
3: there is. So the study we're doing right now, she talks about um, women back then. They didn't just need a, you know, a little bit of lifting, a little bit of grace. They needed a generous lifting, a generous grace that could only come from Jesus. And so he was essentially lifting them out. Every story you read in the New Testament is him lifting these women and others just out of their shame into a place of redemption like Mike talked about. And I think it's fascinating what you just said too, Chuck, is like I, looking at Jesus and how he interacted with other people, had nothing more that I wanted to do after that than to tell other people about that. you know. And I think when you continue to look at Jesus and not at the problems that other people face, you have nothing better to do than want to tell people about that
0: yeah and I, I you know what that is so true and by the way I am not kidding I, I watched her walk in one day there's a big group of people and her eyes are all bright Casey's all excited and she's all excited about Jesus and about what she's studying in the word and she's sharing it and everybody was like huh, huh? like we're all leaning over wanting to hear more you know and and I think that's so true and that's what happened to this woman she ran back into the city so excited everybody's like tell me more you
4: know I I
0: love that. You got lit up by something, too. What hit you?
4: Yeah, so um, just kind of listening to him talk, and um, in church, we always hear, like, this analogy of God left the 99 for the one. And, you know, the whole message behind that is, like, you are the one, and God leaves everything to go find you. And then me hearing that, I was like, well, what about the 99? Are Is God leaving the 99 just to get you? You know, which, like, thank you, God, but what about the 99? Right? Um, it, like obviously the numbers don't exactly make, make sense there. And so that's just something that I just had thought about when he first brought it up. And then um, I kind of was wrestling with that. And then later he was talking about the woman who went back and was super, super excited and was like, look what Jesus did in my life. He told me everything that I've ever done. Mm. And that connected with everyone in the town and so it kinda I, I kind of had that light bulb moment of it was like Jesus isn't abandoning the 99. He's following the one, and that's how he connects to the 99. Yeah. He's chasing after um, that one person. Um and specifically in this story, that was how that was how Jesus um, preached and that's how he connected with this town. Yeah. And because of it, this entire town saw look at the Messiah. This truly is the Messiah. Or I think that if, uh, if Jesus just went into the streets and started um, uh, just proclaiming his name and was like, hey, I am the Messiah, it wouldn't have spoken to people. Um, but because he went out to the one, he, um, that that's how he reached the 99. So I, I just thought it was super, super cool that he wasn't just abandoning the 99 because he loves you so much. It's, he loves Everyone so much, and he loves you so much that he's able to use us to speak to the 99. So God going after the one is how he's going after the 99. And I I thought that was extremely extremely cool, dude. I think that is like so deep and so awesome, and I have never
0: thought about that before. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna use it one day. One day in a sermon, everyone's gonna go, "Whoa, Chuck, you're so deep." But it's yours. <laughs> but no, it's so true. You know, the love of God is so amazing. His uh, passion for the lost is so real. Uh, as a matter of fact, we talk a lot at Crossroads about the cause. Luke 19:10 it says, "For this cause the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost." that Jesus came to seek the lost, that Jesus came to seek those who were caught in bondage, whose lives were empty, whose pain was real. And then as Mike read at the very end, Jesus said this, if anyone is thirsty, it's John 7:37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who would believe in uh, believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But today the spirit's given, and today the one who wants to give you the Holy Spirit, that will give you water flowing from the innermost part of who you are, will do things in your life to take away the thirst, the ache, the pain, the shame, the guilt, the feeling of being lost. Jesus wants that for you. And right now, you matter so much to us. We've been praying, we've been hoping that you, no matter when you're watching or where you're watching, would know that Jesus' love for you is so real. That's right. That He's watching you, He's waiting for you, He's pursuing you. And right now, maybe you're someone who's never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're someone who needs to recommit your life to Christ. But you know what? He loves you when he wants you. He would never turn you away, but he would take you deep into wonderful, amazing things. So right now, if you are not close to the Lord, right now, if you're hurting or you're in pain, right now, if you need to come back, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to ask you right now just to whisper the prayer wherever you are. Driving in your car, whisper the prayer. Uh, Sitting in your living room, maybe reach over if you're married to your husband or wife and say, let's pray it together. Uh, Maybe you're a group of friends that are watching like we are and, and you look over at someone and say, let's do this, man. I'm in. I'm in. Pray this prayer with me and say yes to the Lord. But let me pray for you first. Father, I pray right now. For whoever's sitting here in this moment of need, with you about to meet their deepest need, about to heal the greatest hurt, about to take them from a place where maybe they're empty and fill them with your love and fill them with your spirit and fill them with life, Lord, that's life eternal. And maybe those words aren't echoing the way I'm hoping they would, but I'm praying your spirit is touching them now, right now. And they're sensing it. If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me back or holding me down. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. And then here's the words. If you haven't said anything else, just say this. So I say yes to you. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Praise God if you prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer... You matter so much to us we want you to let us know you prayed it. We want to send you a special gift uh, that, by the way, just recently someone said, this gift changed their life. It, it helped them get closer to God. It's a free copy of a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And it's yours for free as a, a remembrance of this moment, but also a way for us to help you grow. But what we want you to do is text AMEN to 77247. AMEN to 77247. Text that in or go to Crossroads Stop Family and click on I made a decision. And at that place and that time, we're going to get right back to you. And then I want to ask you get back to us. Let us know who you are because you do matter to us and we do care about you.